Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Lori Rudiman is willing to do whatever it takes to find her happiness and fix herself so that she can help fix others. She is a former human resources leader turned writer, entrepreneur, and speaker. CNN recognized her as one of the top five career advisors in the United States. Her work has been featured on NPR, The New Yorker, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, and Vox. Lori, welcome. So I would love to, one, just learn about like how you navigated Tijuana. Yeah, we can talk about that. Nobody ever asks me that. I love talking about that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I actually have a friend that did bariatric surgery and she looks amazing now. Of course. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I'm jealous. She's like skinnier than me now. I mean, she's lost <laughs> over a hundred pounds. She is killing the workout. She's a mom of four. I have to say, I'm like getting a little insta- envious. Yeah. Well, I love it. You know, I'm like <laughs> almost 15 years past this, you know, and I don't have any restriction on my eating anymore. This is not like a thing that I do in my body, but it's something that was really important to me at the time. And it really jump started a lot of change and I'm not ashamed of that. And so I totally would love to talk about that because there's this like be healthy at any size discussion and love your curves. And like, I'm all for that, but let's talk about what healthy means. And we could talk about Tijuana all day long. So whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, why did you end up there to do it? I went to Tijuana because I was at my wits end. Like I had tried every diet. I had tried everything to lose weight. And it was important for me to actually lose weight because the weight I put on my five foot tall frame was drowning me, you know, and it wasn't like a whole lot of weight. It's not like I was a hundred pounds overweight, but it was enough that I was throwing out my back. I remember being in an airport one time and sneezing and my back went out and I'm like, how am I supposed to carry my luggage now? So it was just too much. And, you know, I starved myself. I did these liquid diets, did the grapefruit diet. You know, I was on the Weight Watchers bandwagon before Oprah made it a thing. And I just thought there's no way I can run, which is something that had been a goal of mine, hike in Mexico and all these amazing places where my husband wants to go hiking. I can't do any of this because I'm chunky, because I'm depressed, because all I want to do is eat Oreo cookies because of my job which really shouldn't be that big of a thing. And I knew I couldn't change my job, but I knew I could change the way I interacted with food. And so that's really what drew me to this, but I wasn't fat enough, I'm using air quotes, to do it in America. I wouldn't have been fat enough even now under the standards. So I had to go elsewhere and that's why I chose Tijuana. Interesting, right, because in the States, if you're fat enough, you can get it covered on insurance. Or you could just get it done. You know, I'm lucky enough that I had the funds to self-pay one way or the other. But even here in America, they were like, sorry, you're not heavy enough. And I actually heard stories of people stuffing stones in their pockets when they would weigh themselves or gorging on food to gain weight, to get to that magic number where your BMI says, 
all right, you can have surgery. And so it puts people in this really awkward phase of being stuck in diet culture, which we know really doesn't work, or gaining weight to qualify for surgery, which we know can be, you know, a good solution to weight gain. So it was super messy. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to get to the heart of this. I'm going to take my own healthcare into my own hands and go to Mexico. And I did my research. I looked around, but you know, this was back in the day before the iPhone even existed. So it wasn't like doing the research of today, but thank God for WebMD and you know, I got to learn about what a lap band is and thank goodness for those old school forums, because that's where I learned if you're going to do medical tourism, you really need to understand the culture of the country where you're going. Yeah. Talk to me about what it was like when you got there. <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, I'd been to Mexico. I have family in Southern California and my memories of Tijuana when I was a kid, they were beautiful. I didn't remember like poverty. I didn't remember the chaos. I remembered playing in the streets and going to the markets and having tacos. And so when I went back in my, sheesh, in my late 20s, early 30s now, it was during a time when drug cartels had taken over, the economy had collapsed, and it was dangerous. It was dangerous for Mexican citizens, and American citizens were being kidnapped all the time. And again, I'm five feet tall, I'm petite, I'm blonde. You know, I'm automatically a target even today. When I go to London, I'm a target. I had my purse snatched in a restaurant. So people look at me and they think they can hurt me, right? So I came fully aware. I came with my senses. I came with my goodwill, but I also came with money to bribe people in case I needed it. So I gave some money to the concierge at the hotel. You know, I gave some money to taxi driver. I was giving money out right and left. But most importantly, you know, I, I recognized when I worked at Pfizer, whenever we wanted something, we just bought it. So I went to that weight loss clinic in Tijuana and they told me, nope, sorry, you don't weigh enough even here to have surgery. And I bribed the lady 200 bucks and she said, okay, you weigh enough now. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's a good transition too, because I wanted to talk about the fact that you asked Pfizer to fire you. I don't know anyone who has ever said that. For Pfizer or for the world? Because I think, you know, a lot of people have asked Pfizer to fire them and a lot of people get fired in the world. I think it's just, we don't talk about it very openly. I mean, I've gotten fired on purpose, but I've never said, Hey, can you do that? So you do it by just very bluntly being very clear about who you are and what you want in this world. So I had been working at Pfizer for a couple of three and a half years at that point. And I just knew that it wasn't working out. It just was not for me. And so I had seen executives come and go and write these big packages into their employment agreement. And I had also seen people my age and at my level, not quite fit in and say, you know what, it's not working out for you. It's not working out for me. Let's make this a mutually agreed upon decision. And so I channeled all of that information and made the case that the job that I was doing today was different than the job that I was hired to do. And that it would actually be a cost savings to rearrange our department and give my duties to other people. And with that, I walked out of Pfizer with the severance package. I mean, it's Not like it's that easy. It requires bravery and courage, but it's a good lesson that if you really want something bad enough, you should look around to the most powerful people around you and ask, how did they do it? 
and get curious and find out and ask them good questions. Because more often than not, really successful people are happy to share their secrets. So that's why I put it in the book in case anybody's struggling in their job, it is possible to ask for severance. And I teach it in my own consulting practice. Is burnout a real thing? Burnout is a human condition. We're all tired. I think burnout is an outcome of poor boundary setting. That's, mm. that's what I believe. And so if you want to beat burnout, the first place to start is in your calendar at work and really guard and block off some times that are important for you to take a breather, to eat, to get good rest, to move, to be curious. I always have people block out time on their calendar for continuous learning, just like learning something new. And if you start to do these really foundational pieces in your calendar, work isn't so stressful. That's really interesting. What are you learning now? Oh my goodness. What am I not learning now? I have not taken a photography class since I was in high school. And I thought to myself, I want to start live streaming using a better camera and I want to take pictures and I want to be less reliant on my iPhone. So I'm going to get a camera. And I did my research and that was a whole learning process. And my husband uh, is an amateur photographer. So he taught me some basics. And then I've scheduled some time with a friend of mine who is a professional photographer and we're swapping out some services and she's going to teach me how to really use the camera. So I'm super stoked, but this thing looks real, doesn't it? Yeah, that's oh, fancy. I, know. I don't know. I don't know. I hope I learn how to use it. I think you will. And another thing that you recently got a coach on and had a totally different experience with was your second book. You said on the first one, you didn't get a coach. And on the second one, you're like, okay, like let's figure out what the pros. Yeah. Do. You know, I wrote a book many years ago and it's just like a self-published book. And it was really about human resources kind of came and went. And I learned a little bit about self-publishing, but I didn't want to do that again. And so when I decided to write this book, I thought, I want to figure out how successful people do it. How do the stars do it? How does Tim Ferriss do it? Rich Roll. Not that I'm of that oeuvre at all, but I was curious. And so I got a book coach who consults to people like that. And I learned what it took to write a professional book proposal and what it was like to get an agent and go to the big five. And my book went to auction and got in a little bit of a bidding war and I got a great advance and I wrote a really fun book, I think, that's doing okay. So yeah, it was really worth the investment, but the amount of money up front was a little bit daunting, but I had been saving for years. And that's the point of all of this. If you fix your finances and build a good framework, it allows you to do some really good things. It allows you to bet on yourself, but it's about making short-term sacrifices for the long-term gains. That can be privileged but it's also all of our responsibility if we want to up our game to think about our long-term strategy and stop focusing on what's right in front of us in the short term. That's interesting. How have you been able to like stay on the program with your fitness, for example? So first and foremost, my body and my size is now 100% my responsibility. I have no restrictions on my eating. I haven't for a very long time. And I was nervous about that when I um, decided not to rely on my lap band anymore. I thought, how am I going to stay healthy? Not how am I going to stay thin? 
how am I going to stay healthy? I also have to tell you that I have a hormonal imbalance, like a legit one. Your listeners may not care about this, but I went into very early menopause due to my thyroid. So that caused a whole host of like weight fluctuations. And instead of tightening that lap band, which I could have and made myself not eat, I thought I want to learn how to be healthy in this body. I don't care what size I am, but I want to define what healthy means. So healthy means eating good, nutritious food that's not corporate. It also means drinking a lot of water. It means not drinking, you know, Pepsi and Diet Coke and all the shit we drink. It means not being an alcoholic. And believe me, I love to drink. I'm on the end of like heavy corporate drinking. (laughs) So I was like, how do I manage this? Where I'm going with this is that once I started to look in my calendar, I realized I needed to make time to exercise and I exercise every day. I needed to make time to sleep and I'm not like someone who particularly enjoys exercising. And I don't think I need eight hours of sleep, but people around me say I'm crazy if I don't work out. And they say I'm crazy if I don't get enough sleep. And I respect that feedback. And I'm like, all right, I want to be functional. I want to be healthy. So I try to schedule a life like that. Wow. That takes dedication. I think the consequences are so dire for me that if I don't do this daily or almost daily, it gets a little dangerous. So I know that if I don't physically get my heart rate up every day, my anxiety and depression will kick in. Now, I'm not saying I'm out there busting it every day, deadlifting, doing Pilates, running miles, but I take a lot of walks. I live next to the woods, like surrounded by trees. So I'm out there every day. That's why I live here. I'm always and forever carrying around a bottle of water or a cup of water with me, not because I love the way water tastes, but because I know I need it for peak performance. And frankly, I don't want to get divorced. I enjoy my relationships with my family now. I don't want to go back to the way I was before. I want to keep moving forward. So it's not dedication. It's more like just this natural desire to live a better life. You know, I feel very privileged to have the good life that I have. I don't want to blow it. So as long as I live and breathe, I'm I'm at least going to try. Did you ever come close to blowing it? You said that you have a good relationship now. So let's talk about when it wasn't. I'm human. (laughs) So So am I. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So my husband and I have been married for almost 19 years. Amazing. uh, Yeah, together for almost 24. I met him right out of college. And there's a chapter in the book where I write that we went to marriage therapy because, you know, he's a saver. I'm a spender. I want a lot of animals. He's just happy with a couple of cats, you know, these old cats that we have. So we found that we weren't communicating very effectively. And so we went to marriage therapy and it truly, I think, really saved our marriage. But it required us both to spend some separate time. Like I thought marriage therapy would be just the two of us sitting on a couch complaining. And we actually split our sessions and our therapist talked to my husband a lot about self-care, which is not something that most dudes want to talk about. You know, my husband is like a chemical engineer. He doesn't want to talk about self-care. Didn't even really know what it meant. Had a lot of ideas that were totally and completely wrong. I write about that in the book, but he was not doing the things that were really important, like exercising or spending enough time investing in his own underdeveloped personal life. And so through that, you know, he got back into working out. He got back into golfing. We don't have children. So If we're not doing something that's a lot of time together, hyper-focusing on a marriage, no marriage can sustain that. So it was really all about finding outside interests and then coming together and talking about the things we loved and we cared about. So yeah. 
You said he spent time developing his underdeveloped personal interests. Was there like something that he felt like he was holding back from because of maybe his career or just time? Good question. You know, I don't know. And I would never want to speak for him, but I know like anybody, you kind of get caught up in behaviors and habits and rituals. And I think it was real easy for both of us to work, come home. I was traveling, he was traveling go out to dinner. You know, we used to go to the same Mexican restaurant every night for fr- on Friday nights. And it was a nice ritual when it began, but like five years later, we're still going to the same Mexican restaurant, you know, like that's a lot. It's a lot to put on that place. <laughs> the waiters were like, what are you doing here? Don't you have lives on Friday nights? And we're like, no, no, we don't. And so it was really important for us to find other things that we enjoy doing. I picked up marathon running. He's wow. a big, yeah, he's a big golfer and he'd given that up for a lot of years. And I'm not quite sure why, but he got back into that. Well, I will say this, it was about spending better time together, making sure the time that was spent one-on-one was of quality and not just quantity. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. What's funny is me and my husband went on date night for about five years and we too, like, of course had favorite restaurants. And after going out once a week to eat in Chicago, our next couple of years of date night needed to be CrossFit and then comedy because we definitely packed on a little bit of weight together going to the restaurants and drinking and you know well isn't that funny how I think you go on a date and you eat and you drink and you're supposed to be having this moment where you're intimate and then you come home and you're like bloated from the food and you're kind of drunk but not drunk enough to make it fun you know that's at least my experience and so I don't know, after a couple of years of eating enchiladas and drinking margaritas, I'm like, we need a new plan. And that new plan is we mix it up every Friday night. We do something different. And now with COVID, I'm glad we did some of that work earlier in our marriage because this year we've had to spend a lot of time together. And I think it's better because we did that work in therapy. That therapy, I might need the number of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, She's good. I don't know if she's virtual, but she's good. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I heard your interview with Scott Stratton too. And he was doing like all kinds of traveling and speaking hundreds of times a year. And then now he's doing more of the dad thing, which is a a huge shift. Yeah. But isn't that so refreshing? Not just Scott Stratton. I mean, that dude can do whatever he wants, but any person out there could really take this opportunity during COVID to cut away the extraneous and to say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. I know a lot of mothers don't feel like they've been able to do that. And a lot of them can't, but sometimes there's a story that mothers have been telling themselves that they need to be present at work and present with their children. And then they come to me and say, I'm burning out. I'm like, of course you are. No, duh. Let's talk about being a slacker because I want you to do less and spend more time enjoying what you do. So those 40 hours that you're putting in at the office, nobody can tell the difference between 30 and 40 or 40 and 50. So let's peel that back and make sure the work that you do is of quality, but stop apologizing for not being available at every given moment. Stop apologizing for missing those dumb meetings you don't need to go to and show up with confidence, show up with integrity, do your work, and then go back to your real life and maybe bring some of that confidence with your spouse or your children. You know, I can't lecture anybody about home, but I can certainly talk to them about confidence at work. Do you ever miss the office? 
No, never. Do you miss an office? You know, the grass is always greener, right? You know, you had some wins, some, you know, you worked at some big companies, like you don't miss anything about that. I don't miss it because I have been able to create a life where I have good colleagues, good relationships, a steady stream of income, plenty of fun people in my life. And I do it all without having to explain myself to anybody or really get into any political fights or (laughs) worry about someone else's motives or agendas that if I don't like working with someone, I can stop and I can leave. But again, that's the life I have now is built on a lot of sacrifices from my earlier life in corporate America at Monsanto, at Unilever, which was Alberto Culver back then at Pfizer. I really put up with a lot and I I just, I don't know. I think I never want to go back to that. So no, I don't miss the office at all. And when I was traveling and doing keynote speaking and even consulting, I got to see, see people and see stuff. I remember going into the bathroom at one of America's best companies and they had single ply toilet paper. And I thought, how is this America's best company? It's single ply toilet paper. You wipe yourself and the toilet paper falls apart. Who wants to work in that environment? And yet they're rated as like the number one company year, one of the number one companies year after year. So I don't miss that kind of stuff at all because I like two ply toilet paper. Did they nominate themselves? That's the secret behind all these lists. Most of them are self-nominated. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> it plays. Yeah. Can we talk about the breakdown that you had in the airport? Oh yeah, absolutely. Come on. Like any breakdown, it's only interesting to the person who's having it. Like everybody else around me in my life, nobody cares about a breakdown, but I had a very cliche breakdown at an airport and I want to say it was in Kansas city, but it was so long ago that I don't really remember the airport, some Midwestern airport. I was traveling for work where I worked at Pfizer, laying people off and it's like in between flights, hungry, needing dinner. So I grabbed a Pepsi and a bag of Starburst. And God forbid, like I do anything with my brain, right? Because I already felt exhausted from work. I grabbed an Us Weekly magazine and some chowing on these Starbursts and they take forever to open. They're terrible, you know? Drinking this Pepsi, it's making me burp, flipping through the Us Weekly. And I see a story allegedly that this star named Courtney Love had weight loss surgery. And, you know, people who listen to this podcast may be like, who's Courtney Love again? And she used to be married to Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. And she went through this renaissance after he died, which is kind of sketchy, but she lost a bunch of weight and looked terrific. And the magazine made an allegation that she'd gone to Mexico. And frankly, now we know all stars when they lose weight after a big role, generally do that, (laughs) you know, like, and then they go and they get liposuction, they do all kinds of stuff. But anyway, back then this was like scandalous. And I thought, what the hell is this all about? And God, money really fixes stuff. Again, when a company needs good advice, when they need to grow, when they need to consolidate, money solves that problem. When a star wants to improve her looks, she's not going to Weight Watchers. She's not doing slim fast. She's taking care of it with money. And I actually had some money and thought, you know what, I'm going to explore this and investigate this. And the breakdown stopped. I just stopped absolutely feeling sorry for myself. I stopped wondering how am I going to get off this treadmill at Pfizer? I stopped worrying, am I ever going to be loved again? Am I ever going to be a writer? I just said, you know what? I'm going to solve this problem right now. I'm going to see if I can get my health back. 
and I felt better. Wow. Do you think money can buy you happiness? Yes. Wow. I mean, you know, happiness is a stupid thing to chase, but if you mean contentment and security, a little bit of fun. Yeah. I think money can go to therapy to bring you a sense of comfort. I think money can pay for healthcare so that you can live longer and live with a better quality of life. I think money can buy you a nice place that isn't like the place where I grew up. You know, I grew up with my grandmother and at one point there were eight grandchildren in that home and one bathroom on the Northwest side of Chicago. So I now have more than one bathroom because of money. I think that's pretty terrific. So I think money can buy the basic framework of a good life. And, you know, sure, you can be miserable, but you are at least not miserable because your physical or emotional safety is in jeopardy. So yeah, I'm, I'm pro money that way. Since you did bring up your childhood, I did listen to Adam Posner's uh, interview where you talked about your mom being a Chicago beat cop and your dad worked in telecom. I would love to know how that has shaped you today. It's two different really paths because my mom as a beat cop really showed me what happens when you let other people tell your story because she only became a beat cop in her thirties because in her twenties, she was really focused on men and kind of overcoming some of the trauma in her own life. And then she got to her thirties and she's like, holy crap, I need a job to support my children with benefits and a pension. And the only thing she could really find was to become a beat cop. Like just crazy, just crazy. Turns out she was kind of good at it, but it was almost like a career of last resorts because she just had not invested in herself. It's funny because when I was listening to it, I was like, good for her. She figured out a way to take care of her family and she found something that she was good at. Yeah, I was kind of like cheering for her. Yeah, yes. But also, you know, being a cop is a weird job. And she worked midnights and on a straight shift for many, many years. And it really took a toll on her physically and emotionally. And although financially she did okay, it was incredibly hard. She was also a female cop at a time when there weren't a lot of women cops. She was very much like kind of forced to participate in the old boys network. And again, I don't want to tell her story, but this was not an easy road for a woman back then. And it really, I think, caused some psychological trauma in its own way, on top of all the trauma she had from her own life of just being a working class woman in Chicago. So I just really learned that this learned helplessness and blaming other people or looking for other people to solve your problems was a dead end. That's a big message. Yeah. I mean, you can can look around all the time at people and say, oh, they made bad decisions and I'm not going to do that. But to still see the effects of my mother's time in the police force today, all these years later, is like a daily reminder that, okay, I'm in control. I'm going to make my choices. This is who I want to be. I think my dad was a different story because he got this job in telecom and utilities, really, basically. Back then, it was a utility because it was a place where a dude can go and work for 28 years and not be too challenged, right? I mean, Illinois Bell was a utility and then it was purchased by AT&T and then they spun it off to a million different telecoms and he just kind of survived. And again, another lesson that you could have a job that pays you well for all those years and it could still eat your soul alive. And in a weird way, I was kind of like this weird doppelganger of my parents. You know, I was working at Pfizer where I could have worked for 30 years and just you know, flailed along from job to job and been unhappy. And I could have been like my mom in her twenties and early thirties, where I blamed other people for my story and felt sorry for myself. And I was really 
heading down that path. And I just, I had to stop it. I had to stop it. I didn't want any of that. I wanted to be in control of my life. So your parents are always with you, no matter where you are, at what stage. That's lesson from that. (laughs) Oh yeah. And you always still need them. Your work is not your worth. You are entitled to time off and good rest and to be a creative soul if that's what you want, just by the fact that you were born. And if your company won't give it to you, claim it. I had a woman recently who had been working for me for over a year and she was lovely. She was amazing, but I wouldn't say she was working for me. She was a colleague. She was great. She was 25 years old and people would say, what's it like managing someone from generation Z? like, what kind of paternalistic thing do you think I engage in? I don't manage anyone. They manage themselves. You know, she managed to get up in the morning and do great work. I didn't have to tell her to do that. And did we have conversations about her performance? Sure. But it was a two-way street. And I just find that much more mature and respectful. And did she screw up? Sure. Do I screw up? Absolutely. And then we just talk about it and deal with it. But unless you're doing serious surgery, really doesn't matter. I love that. And and that makes me wonder, like, what are your thoughts on personality tests and assessments and strengths finder and all that? Let me back up and say, I think all personality tests are garbage. Like, I really believe that. I'm a Capricorn and I was also born in 1975, but I was born before the Lunar New Year, which means I'm technically year of the tiger, even though like 1975 is like year of the rabbit or something like that. I mean, none of this means anything. And when we start to see personality tests take hold in the early part of the 20th century, it's because of the Myers-Briggs test. And the Myers-Briggs test really takes a goofy understanding of Jungian psychology and applies it to the way people interact with one another. And, you know, it's based on an idea of introversion and extroversion, but a lot of people think introvert means I don't like people and extrovert means I like to be outside the house. But the way Jung interpreted it is that everybody has a little bit of introversion and extroversion within them. And you can flex and a healthy person has a balance, but some people tend to be too much one way or the other. And if you're an introvert, that means you're actually avoiding the outside world. You're avoidant. And if you're an extrovert, you're avoiding your internal thoughts your internal voices. So it's not about where you get your energy from. It's really about how you choose to interact in the world and what you're avoiding. So anyway, the two people who created Myers-Briggs create this personality assessment that sets the stage for like the DISC and Strength Finders and all of these others, the Berkman, that are all technically statistically valid, except they're not. Nobody would ever use this in any other way except the world of employment. And Frankly, they're not even valid there. What's your relationship with your parents like now? Oh my God, we're like all over the map here, right? As a good podcast is. Well, I have to say that I wrote a book where I told stories about my parents. So they like, they think I'm a little weird, you know, but they love me dearly. My dad doesn't live anywhere near me and I haven't seen him for a while. My mom doesn't live anywhere near me either, but for some reason we talk all the time and I'm the oldest of four and I'm bossy. And we're only 20 years apart, so I don't know. I mean, it's fine, but (laughs) it's not like a... And she's a cop, right? So, or a retired cop now. So I wouldn't say that that's a traditional mother-daughter relationship, but I know that if I needed anything, my parents would do their level best to get it. And I know they love me. 
That's amazing. I feel like you've had a lot of success and you've overcome a lot. So I wonder if you still think about those things. I think about my family dynamic, because as I mentioned, I come from a working class family, right? And so not everybody in my family has made the same choices that I've made or they've had more fun than I've had, or, you know, they've done these different, different things in their life, or they have children, and I don't have any children, you know, I couldn't have children. So I just think it's interesting how life shakes out, because we all started out really in the same place, with a lot of the same experiences. And some of us went one way, some of us went another way, and who's to say what the right path is, but I just hope, you know, my siblings, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, I just, I hope they're all happy. That's amazing. Well, you do have some dope tattoos. Oh yeah, I have a lot of tattoos. <laughs> well, you know, I'm 46 years old. I have a life, right? So I have some stories. I have some tattoos, yeah. Yeah, when was your first one? Oh, when I was way young. And in fact, I'm getting it removed right now because I don't like it and it's on my chest and it's very painful. It's more painful than the tattoo itself because they use a laser to kind of like break up the ink and it hurts like hell. And then they take dry ice that's like aerosolized and shoot the dry ice over it to cool it down on your chest. That's a really painful place. So I would recommend people beware of getting tattoos. Like I see tattoos on necks and I can cover all of mine up if necessary, except for that one. So I'd like to get rid of it so I can at least be in a photo and not have to ask a photographer to Photoshop that out. Ouch. Yeah. Is there one that you love the most? No, but I'm thinking about getting another one. Okay. So you're going <laughs> to love that one the most? <laughs> I just, I'm bored, you know, it's COVID. I got nothing else to do. So I'm thinking about getting a Medusa tattoo. So that's my next one, I think. So, okay. So I usually wrap up the show and ask my guests if they would like to ask my daddy anything. Well, so I want to know, <laughs> I, I tried to get to the origin of this when I looked up. Is it any question at all? Like yeah, anything? you can throw them for a loop. Well, lately I have written down that I want to remember why the sky is blue, because I know I learned this at some point when I was a kid, but I cannot remember why the sky is blue. And so I saved that question for your dad. I thought maybe he would want to look it up and explain it. Ooh, I like it. I might have to give him a heads up though. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm so, so grateful for a conversation about Tijuana, tattoos, human resources. I am delighted that we got a chance to catch up tonight. Yes, this is great. Let people know how they can buy your books, find your podcast, connect with you. I have one URL that's pretty good because nobody can spell my name and it's bettingonyoubook.com. It will take you to my website, to my ecosystem. You don't have to worry about spelling my name, but I think, and this used to be true for a while, I don't know if it's true anymore, you can Google, I hate HR, and I come up. So if anybody hates HR as much as I did, feel free to find me that way. I didn't know that, but I will say I asked my Facebook group what comes to mind when you hear the word human resources, and the top four responses were office employees, I'm fired, paperwork, and I'm in trouble. <laughs> and all of those are accurate. You're so sweet. I love your show. It's really well done. I listened to a bunch of episodes. I mean, you have an amazing voice, an amazing presence. You're a really good interviewer. I was very impressed. 
That is really nice of you to say. Thank you so much. I mean, it's just very generous that you would reach out, that you would offer. So thank you again for all of this. And I'm really willing, whatever I can do to be helpful to you, you just have to ask. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Did you look up why the sky is blue? Oh, I don't have to. This is what I know. <laughs> Color is a reflection of light. An interesting question would be also is how, how do we get these rainbows? Well, the sun is our main source of light and it reflects off of the air or the particles of the air. The color that we most likely see is violet or blue. So sometimes the sky is not just blue, but sometimes it's even violet. I think you've seen it violet as well, depending on the refraction of the light through the prism of the, the air particles. What do you think of that? I think that's a pretty good explanation. And the funny part is, is that if you didn't have light or you didn't have stars or suns, it would be complete darkness. You wouldn't see blue. You wouldn't see anything. It would be completely dark. You can't have color without light. And uh, that's the business that I've been in for 50 years. I was just getting ready to say that. You might know a thing or two about light. I might know a little something about light. And if you remember, the reason why we did that thick anodizing coating is so that the light doesn't break down into its prism where you see iridescence or the rainbow color in a reflector that we would make. We had to really make sure we had enough coating so the white light did not break down, okay? Otherwise, you have the shining of rainbow depending on how the light hits the reflector because it will act also as a prism and break down the light from white light to different colors. Very interesting question because sometimes what we think we see is really a reflection of something else. And isn't that part of the story of Lori also is that she had some issues and self-confidence issues and yet she's very intelligent. She's had corporate work in a corporate structure of Pfizer and other drug companies. And yet because she had a, a weight issue and it was really hurting her back, it wasn't really necessarily where she felt that she had to necessarily lose weight to look better, which might be part of it, but you want to be able to feel better. I just got a dye job because when I look in the mirror and I see that I'm completely gray, I don't feel good when I see myself looking that way. So isn't it also similar as you get a little older and you put on some weight, your back hurts, your knees hurts, your legs hurt. You can't really handle the extra weight. And that's why thinning down, exercising, staying in shape, eating the right foods, your de body demands that you're more disciplined as you get older. Otherwise, you're not going to have longevity with your life. So it's not just a matter of looking good, it's feeling good is really the underlying reflection here. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.